One other thing I, I usually do with the clarinets to start the year, and I, I don't know that I did this this year with the students being virtual, but I'll just start with just the left hand. So they won't even put together the entire clarinet for the oh. first two months or so of the year. So they'll keep the bell off. They'll keep the uh, you know the lower section of the clarinet off just yep. for a couple of weeks, and I'll just have them hold the barrel with their right hand. I wouldn't you know perform like that. No, but it's to start. Yes, yeah, so just to them. start, just to get them going yeah. through those first you know twenty exercises in the yellow. Man, this is gold. <laughs> this is awesome. I feel like I just learned so much. Welcome to the Tenuto Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Lynch. And that was Taylor Cardwell. He is a clarinet extraordinaire, does some really interesting things in his classroom, and I'm just so excited to share this interview with you. Thanks for joining us here on this summer series of the Tenuto Podcast. This is our second episode of our summer series, Coming Back Stronger, the goal to come back stronger after this insane virtual year. Um, I'm your host, as always, Kevin Lynch, and Taylor Cardwell is the guest for today's show. He's somebody that I've wanted to have on the show since I started about five years ago. Taylor is an amazing band teacher. He's also one of my best friends. Um, We are together all the time. We have season tickets to the minor league baseball team in the area together. Um, him and his fiance come over and watch TV shows with me and my wife all the time. But Taylor is an extraordinary band teacher and clarinet player. And at the end of the last year, I kind of sat down and I was like, hmm, what are some things that I could be doing to get better at clarinet, teaching clarinet? And, you know, I, I was thinking and I was like, hmm, Maybe I should have a conversation with Taylor because he knows his stuff. He teaches clarinet all the time. He's an amazing player. He's an amazing teacher. Um, let's see if I can get him to come on the podcast. Sure enough, he was willing, and I learned so much from this interview. I'm so glad that it happened. I was just sitting there like taking mental notes like, okay, okay, that's cool. That's cool. That's innovative. Oh, my gosh, I've never heard that before. Um, and I'm, I'm just so excited to share this one with you guys. This is a really special interview. We're really lucky that we had Taylor on. Um, and yeah, without further ado, here we go. This is Taylor Cardwell on Teaching the Clarinet. All right, we now welcome on Taylor Cardwell, kind of the unicorn. We've been trying to get him on the podcast for the past five years. He finally accepted. He is the middle school band teacher at Rodney Thompson. He was the drum major at James Madison during what years? Uh, let's see. That would have been the fall of 2013. Yeah. And uh, he's in a, he is a clarinet extraordinaire. He teaches a bunch of private clarinet students. He's a clarinet player himself. And today we're going to be diving into the clarinet because it's something that I feel like I could be a lot better at teaching. So, Taylor, my first question is, what's the most common issue that you see with clarinet players? Sure. So, I think a lot of the common issues for beginning clarinet players yeah. start with just mouth placement. I think most clarinet players, when they're starting out, one of the first problems I try to identify is how far they're putting the mouthpiece into their mouth. A lot of them will struggle to get any sound, and if that's the case, then I usually suggest more mouthpiece. 
but the ones that are getting kind of a gross sound, I find that it's too much, so they need to back off just a little bit. And then also getting that angle. Um, as we progress throughout the year and start to add more notes and things, other problems like hand position become an issue. Um, I would say those are the two main ones starting out, just embouchure placement and getting enough support on the bottom lip. Yeah. And also hand position. So when you talk about hand position, mm. I don't know. So like, I have a girl now. She's virtual. You know, she puts the wrong hand on top, and it's the end of sixth grade. And yeah, it was a virtual year, but like, I'm sure you're talking about something different. Like, when you say hand position, are you talking about like, um, what are you? What exactly are you referring? Yeah. So I think I wouldn't say the clarinet's necessarily harder than other instruments, but the fact that it has tone holes presents mm -hmm. a lot more issues and places more of an importance on exactly how your fingers are going down over those tone holes yeah um, you know if you're playing the saxophone or the flute you know, as long as you push the button down it should work if you're doing everything else right yeah um, but on the clarinet you got to make sure your hands are really set up in a way to accommodate good you know good tone and, and notes that are going to come out and respond well for you yeah. i think a lot of people when they're fitting students obviously this is kind of a strange year for that but a lot of people when they're fitting clarinet players they don't really think about finger size or hand size too much because it's a pretty small instrument and yeah. you know with the saxophone you do or at least i try to fit students that have larger hands that can reach around those palm keys a little bit mm -hmm. but I, we don't really think about that too much for clarinet players but if you have a, a young sixth grader or even younger than that if you're starting your band younger you know if if they're struggling to reach those keys it's going to be hard for them to cover the tone holes and especially yeah. as we get lower into you know the bottom range it's it's going to be a challenge for them yeah um, so i i usually you know try to get students to play with nice curved hand uh, kind of like a c you know similar like a trumpet mm -hmm. you know just nice comfortable stuff uh, and then i'll also encourage them if they are struggling just to practice in front of a mirror the clarinet's really awkward oh, to look yeah. down at. Like, yeah. you know, obviously, that if they're looking down at their fingers while they're playing, that's encouraging yeah. a lot of bad habits <laughs> as far as their jaw and their mouth and their air. Um, but if you can get them in front of a mirror, and I've I've got a couple little mirrors at, at Thompson that I'll you know put on their stand, then that can help a little bit, and it can oh. show them, oh, okay, I'm missing that tone hole by just a little bit, or I'm not yeah. really hitting it with the you know the the fat soft part of my fingertip. I'm hitting it with you know closer to a knuckle. Um, so I, I try to get them to do that a little bit. Okay. The other thing is is actually how you're holding the clarinet really affects where your fingers are going to fall onto the tone holes. So for example, if we're talking about the right thumb, if their thumb is too far, if the thumb rest is too far up their thumb, like closer to the actual hand, they're going to have less flexibility for where those right fingers can can get down on the tone hole yeah I'm never... and that's that's going to turn their wrist and especially when you get down to the pinky keys it's it's going to cause some issues so yeah. i usually try to set mine up just right off the the nail on the right thumb and then for the left thumb uh, when we're talking about covering that back you know the f tone hole i usually try to get them to think of it like a clock and say okay your thumb should be pointing somewhere between like one and two o'clock if it's pointing at three o'clock you know that is not healthy for the clarinet you can't you can't do that and reach around comfortably with your left hand yeah and same thing if it's straight up if it's straight up it's also a little bit tricky to use that thumb uh, the thumb tone hole and also to get those hands down so i usually try to get them somewhere in the middle you know between one and two uh, and if you can start that early which is hard um, but if you can get them comfortable there and holding it right um, that that helps one other thing i i usually do with the clarinets to start the year and i i don't know that i did this this year with the students being virtual but i'll just start with just the left hand 
So they mm-hmm. won't even put together the entire clarinet for the oh. first two months or so of the year. So they'll keep the bell off. They'll keep the uh, you know the lower section of the clarinet off just yeah. for a couple of weeks, and I'll just have them hold the barrel with their right hand. It's a little weird, and it doesn't sound quite as good, but it lets them feel a little more secure, and it lets them kind of focus on getting that left hand shape really good yeah. before, you know, once we start playing low B natural, low A yeah. G, then we'll add the lower section, and then we'll start talking about thumb position and that sort of stuff. That's cool. Yeah. That's I wouldn't, awesome. I wouldn't, you know, perform like that. No, but as, to start. Yes, to just to them... start. Just to get them going yeah. through those first, you know, 20 exercises in the yellow book. Man. This is gold. This is awesome. I feel like I just learned so much. Okay, so, because I'm a trombone player, and like, I don't know, like, Claire, it seems like it's such an easy instrument. I mean, kids can make it a sound be. on and, it really quick. And the students think it's easy. They're right. Like, oh, yeah, it's recorder. And it's like, no. But it's not. It's not. Yeah. It's not at all. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so, so let's talk about reeds for mm-hmm. a second. So I start my kids on like size 2.5. Mm-hmm. I don't know when in eighth grade when they're doing well, it's like, hey, maybe you should try a three. But like, I really don't know what I'm doing in terms of sure. moving kids up. So can you so like, elaborate I, on that? I am a big advocate of starting on the two and a half. Um, Van Doren or Rico's are fine too. Um, I will, if they're really crushing it, once we start going over the break in seventh grade, I'll encourage them okay. to go up to threes. I wouldn't say that's as critical as some of the other stuff, but it, it can help, especially for students that are, you know, getting into the all-county, getting into the all-district, yeah. those kids. Yeah. I would encourage them up to threes. Ideally, everybody's playing on a three by high school, I would say, but yeah. um, that being said, I'm sure I've had plenty of clarinet players graduate from Thompson that are still on two and a half. So, yeah. Um, okay. That's just me personally. I don't I don't talk about reads okay. too much to my students. Uh, you you know, don't think it's that important? I, or, I, it is important, but... Like, I think more important is taking care of your reads. Yeah. Uh, making sure they're in good shape, not okay. you know breaking one and playing with a bunch of chips and that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, but the difference between a two and a half and a three read is is something that matters, but it's not you know it's not critical for the seventh grade clarinet player. Got it. Okay. Um, let's talk about going over the break. Mm-hmm. So I've talked to a lot of different people about mm-hmm. like when to do this. Some people do it like right after their winter concert. Some people wait till like the end of spring, like. I don't know, when do you think is the ideal time to do it, and how do you go about it? Sure. So, the in a normal school year, I would say we start kind of um, tinkering with it towards the end of sixth grade. Yeah. Um, you know, towards the spring concert. I wouldn't say I necessarily try to program a piece with that in it, but we've at least experimented with it and tried. Yeah. What I usually get them to do, you know, the, the procedure for getting over the break, is first to just make sure they can get down to low E natural. Okay. You know, and I'll, I'll tell them to just walk down to your low notes. So they'll start on C, and we'll start with just a couple notes. So we'll just do C, B flat, A, just because they're right in a row. They should get pretty good at that pretty quickly. Okay. Then we'll add G, you know, practice that 100 times. Mm-hmm. Then they should get down to F. And if they can get to F pretty easily, then they'll try going down for low E natural. Once they can do that and do it really easily, I try to get them to do it just slurring. That way they can go quickly and not mm-hmm. have to worry about articulation or anything like that. Just slur straight down. Uh, with a good full sound, then I'll try to get them to just go one note at a time with bumping the register key. Uh, I always try to make sure that they understand, and most of them figure it out, but they're not lifting their thumb at all. They really just barely have to lean it forward, yeah. almost almost really just pushing it down a little bit more towards the tip, and then that will you know unlock those higher notes. So we'll start with low C, bump it forward, get that high G. 
Yeah. And we'll go C down to B flat, bump the register key. And then just I just worry about getting that skill before I worry about reading those notes. Because once they those are, are two pretty good challenges on the clarinet. First, you know, right. being able to physically do it, but right. then seeing those notes is, is almost more overwhelming for the students, you know, especially because in the books they, they come pretty quickly. Right. Um, those gorilla jumps. Exactly, yes, the gorilla jumps <laughs> or whatever. Um, so I, I, I try to just work on the skill for a bit in sixth grade. Then when we come back, and maybe in sixth grade we do a couple scales in a normal school year. And usually I'll keep them pretty low, like their low concert F scale. Yeah. Or maybe their concert A flat scale. Or actually probably the first scale I do for clarinets is uh, concert E flat. Just because if they can get to that low F, which is a good skill we want, they just have to go straight up. You know, it's, it's not, there yeah. aren't any weird button combinations. You just lift one at a time and then straight back down. So when I'm learning, you know, the C scale with the trumpets, I'm really usually with the clarinets working on their F scale just because it's it's much easier for them as long as yeah. they can get to those low notes. And being able to play those low notes is so important to playing over the break. Yep, absolutely. Like, yeah, it, it helps build up a lot of the muscle and it helps you understand how much air you need to use. Um, and honestly, I just this year with my in-person students, you know, a lot of times we'll just do a concert F long tone exercise. And I just with my seventh graders a few weeks ago, I was like, clarinets, why don't you play low G instead? And I think that's a much better warm-up for them. You know, mm -hmm. open tone, throat G, sounds gross on the clarinet. Uh, it's not super in tune. Yeah. You know, if, if your lip isn't strong enough, it's going to sound gross. Mm -hmm. But if you can get them playing that low G, it's going to force them to use a little bit more air. Uh, it's also going to just, you know, give them a little more muscle um, and encourage better playing. Yeah. So, so recently I started with the pinky keys. I don't know. I'm just bringing this up sure. because something I've been doing. Um, like the right pinky keys. I, I say like upstairs towards your nose, mm -hmm. upstairs or downstairs towards your toes, like that. I don't yep. know, do you use similar? I, I have never heard that. That okay. makes a lot of sense. Honestly, I feel like no matter what, they're always, you know, just like this one, no, this yeah. one, no, yeah, this I, one, I, no. Exactly. It's the last one. <laughs> um, so I, you know, again, it's been a weird year, and especially over the camera. That's really hard mm -hmm. to do. Um, but when they're in person, just get right there and push it down for push them. It, yeah. Push it down for them. Okay. And then just just build those those habits. Okay. All right. Here's another question for you. Mm -hmm. I'm tuning the clarinets, and we've talked about this, but kind of just want to get your thoughts here. Yep. You're tuning the clarinets. You know, it's all the way in. It's all the way in. Uh, and the clarinet's flat. Mm -hmm. Like, what do you say? What? Wh how do we get this clarinet to to get in in, in tune? Super frustrating. Yeah. Um, I find that. The first thing I'll ask is about the reed. Maybe the mm -hmm. reed's old, maybe it's too soft. I usually will start with the equipment yeah. just because it's easy to check and it's easy to, if that's the issue, that's pretty easy to fix. Right. What usually ends up being the issue, at least in my experience, is that they're not putting enough pressure on the reed with their bottom jaw. Um, mm. Clarinet in comparison to saxophone, I would say when I'm playing, um, when I'm playing the clarinet, there's a lot more pressure on the reed from my chin and from that bottom lip. So one thing that I will start my sixth graders with usually, again, didn't do it this year, um, just because half of them are at home, is we'll just play on the mouthpiece in the barrel, like when we're doing that basic sound, and I'll get them to aim for playing uh, an F sharp on okay. the tuner. If they can hit a concert F sharp with just the mouthpiece and barrel, then I know that um, that they are doing everything right with, with their jaw and also with their air. 
if it's coming out low, if it's coming out as like an F natural, or I've even seen as low as like E or E flat, then a couple of things could be wrong. One, it could just be a position issue with the angle of the mouthpiece. So they could need to bring it further down, closer to their chin, and lift, yeah. lift their chin a little bit. Okay. It could also be just the bottom lip sort of thing. They're not pushing enough on that reed and keeping their corners firm. Okay. And then the other thing it could also be is it could be kind of where they're pushing their air. If their mouth and the back of their throat is very open and they're pushing their air down, kind of like what I would describe good low brass air, Yeah. Uh, if they're doing that, it's going to sound super flat. They need to push the air up over the tip of the reed and make sure it's almost kind of high going up over the tongue. Um, and very focused, too. It's not like, yeah. you know, spread air. It's, it's very focused. I'll try to get them to think about, like, you know, imagine if, if I had a cupcake and held it right in front of you and there was a candle and it was lit. You know, if it was right in front of you, you could blow whatever air you wanted yeah. and that candle would go out. You could blow a ton of, you know, gross air at, at once. But if I took that cupcake and moved it 10 yards away, you know, where it's, it's a good distance from you, you would have to, you know, if you even wanted to move the flame a little bit, you'd have to be very precise with where your air is. Yeah. I, I try to get them to think about that a little bit. But I, I think that's good for, for most players on, on most instruments. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I never talk about the air direction, mm -hmm. and I mm -hmm. should. I, I, I'm going to start. You can you can manipulate the pitch on a clarinet tremendously, uh, and it's a lot of fun, actually. And you can demonstrate <laughs> that with them. You know, if, yeah. if I, yeah. I don't play clarinet with my students enough, but you know, if I take my mouthpiece and barrel off, you can really bend the pitch of that note. Just um, by if, your direction. Just with the direction and the pressure. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, okay. What's something you think more teachers should be doing with their clarinet players? I would, and I'm very guilty of this as well, like I just said, um, playing with them. Yeah. I, honestly, and some, of it's, some of it's a convenience thing. I teach a lot of lessons after school, so I usually leave my clarinet at home. Mm -hmm. But I, I need to do a better job of taking the clarinet in, demonstrating for them, and making sure that they, that they understand, like, oh, okay, that's, that's what we should be trying to sound like. And that's, you know, that's the sort of air we should be using, and that's how it should look. Yeah. I, I would say modeling on the clarinet. Okay. Um, I definitely need to do that more. Okay. So so kind of switching gears, thinking to next year, kind of just as a middle school band teacher, but mm -hmm. if you want to relate this to clarinet as well, it's sure. fine. Do you plan on doing things differently next year to start the year than you would, you know, two years ago, a normal school year? Absolutely. I was, um, I just had my final evaluation with my administrator. And I, we were talking a little bit how I'm really excited to combine having all these virtual tools while still having all the students in the building. Yeah. Like, I, I think having, you know, we use Canvas, um, then Smart Music and stuff like that. The ability to post videos to Canvas and asking the students to view them before class, almost like a flipped classroom sort of thing, yeah. was really helpful at the start of the school year, especially for the sixth graders. I, I, I love the beginning of sixth grade band, but I also hate it sometimes because, for example, um, showing them how to like even just put their instrument together. You know, yeah. if you have mixed instrumentation, even if it's just like the woodwinds. You know, if you have flutes, clarinets, and saxophones and percussion in one class, mm -hmm. I feel like I could spend forty minutes easily just showing them how to put their instruments together. And yeah. usually, what that looks like is I go talk to the flutes for ten minutes, I go talk to the clarinets for ten minutes, saxophones, percussion, or whatever. Um, and I, I really don't love that class period just because it's a lot of wasted time. But this year what I did was I just made a short video. I said, clarinet players, you know, go to Canvas, watch this video about how to put your reed on, how to put your mouthpiece on your barrel, and then practice hitting this note. Um, flute players, you know, practice on just the head joint. It should sound like this. And that made it much more efficient. I think I'm going to keep that for next year. I even did it up through 
like the first five notes. So when we learned, you know, let's say we learned the first three notes, I would say clarinets, you know, you need these two buttons down for E. Yeah. You lift this one to get to F. You lift this one to get to G. Yeah. They can go back and watch that video a hundred times if they don't quite get it. Yeah. But if they're not paying attention in class or it's a bad day, whatever, they are going to miss out on it and it, it's not going to work as well. So I'm, I'm going to, huh. I wouldn't say I would like totally flipped the classroom or anything, but I did have them viewing some videos and saying, hmm. you know, you're responsible for understanding this concept. And then you're going to have the assignment where I'm checking to see, can you play those first five notes? Yeah. One, one of their first playing assignments was just making that basic sound is what I call it. So flutes on the head joint, clarinets on the mouthpiece and barrel, you know, trumpets just on the mouthpiece getting that buzz, you know, check mark everybody, they're getting it. No, you're not. Okay, we need to have a Google Meet and, and see what's going on. Um, but I, I plan to continue some of that flipped classroom stuff. Yeah, there is some good from this absolutely, year. Yeah, absolutely. There's, 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 you know, it was a challenging year, but there is a lot of good. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think that's awesome. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really good way to look at it. Yep. Um, okay. Here we go. We're going to finish the interview with some rapid fire questions. Okay. Not sure if you're familiar. I know you're a, you're an avid listener of the podcast. So um, rapid fire. I'm going to ask you some questions. You just tell me the first thing that pops into your mind. Perfect. Ready? Yep. Here we go. Favorite essential elements exercise? Uh, I think it would be hot cross buns. It's a mm. staple. It's a classic. Mm -hmm. The kids love it. It's, it's good. Yeah. Okay. Real quick. I have a verbal meme. So General Mills hires you, and you have to decide which one to eliminate from Chex Mix. Mm -hmm. Which one is the first to go? You've got breadstick, rye chip, square pretzel, corn Chex, wheat Chex, or circle pretzel. I think my choice would be circle pretzel. Mm. I love the Chex, and I love mm -hmm. the rye chip as well. All right. Um, <laughs> lunch duty or bus ramp? Ooh. I think I would take bus ramp, mm. just just because of the noise. It gets, mm -hmm. I don't know about your cafeteria, but it gets so loud. Yeah, so you've been over a few times. You know I have two cats. I do. Yep. Um, will you have pets a year from now? I would like to. Okay. We'll, we'll see what happens. Okay. Um, favorite hobby? Hmm. I hear you're quite the woodworker. I enjoy woodworking. Um, I also enjoy barbecuing, so okay. smoked meats, that's a... That's a good hobby of mine. I like to pretend that I'm good at golf sometimes, mm -hmm. um, but I'm, I'm not good. I think you're good. I, I would say those are my top three, woodworking, smoked meats, golf. Okay. Fuzzy socks or bow ties every day of work for the rest of your life? Hmm. I think I would probably say bow ties. Every okay. day, though? That's a lot. That's a, that is a lot, but yeah, better than the fuzzy socks. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. All right, last one. Thin or chip? I couldn't couldn't possibly choose between your two cats. <laughs> I couldn't. They're both the dynamic duo. Taylor, I'm so glad this happened, man. Me too. I'm, I'm not sure it was five years ago you asked me. I think it was. But uh, I remember it Maybe distinctly. four or three. I was thinking it was like three or four years yeah, ago. Yeah, maybe four or three. But uh, you're a gold mine. That was awesome. I'm going to listen back to this a lot. And... Uh, yeah, this was fantastic. Thank well, you. I enjoyed man. it. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Yeah. And that was Taylor Cardwell, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for listening to another amazing episode of the Tenuto Podcast. Thank you, Taylor, again for coming on the show. Look out for us next Tuesday. We'll see you then. Have a wonderful week. 
Thanks again for listening. You can like us on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter and listen anywhere you get your podcasts. Have a great day.